0: Glory and the praise. Well, our text is found in the prophecy of Isaiah and the chapter we read, Isaiah chapter 52. And we shall read again verse 7. Isaiah chapter 52, at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains. Are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Amen. It was given to the prophet Isaiah to foretell. The captivity of the Jews in Babylon but not only their captivity also their deliverance after 70 long years in exile in this section of Isaiah's prophecy that deliverance is near to hand in the vision Isaiah has a place among those who are left behind In the ruins of Jerusalem. And there has been so much. To discourage them. The captivity has gone on. For so long. And we try to imagine the godly among them. How they felt about these things. And what their exercise was. The lamenting. We see that in Jeremiah. But the sorrow of those who love the Lord and his cause, to see things as they were, and yet no doubt the recognition on their part that it was for Israel's sins that these things came to pass. That's God's dealings with the ancient people under the Old Testament. It is also God's dealings with his church today. We remember how Martin Luther spoke of the uh, Babylonian captivity of the church in his day, uh, the Reformation. It was a great deliverance from the captivity of the church. uh, There, buried under Romish superstition and idolatry, and a few faithful saints here and there, harried and persecuted, by their cruel oppressor. But the Lord gave great deliverance to his church in the time of the Reformation. And we here today are the beneficiaries of that great work of God. But here are the exiles, and here are those in Jerusalem, Isaiah among them, and the captivity has gone on. For so long And one day, an announcement is made. A man has been seen, a herald on the mountains of Judea, and he's running at pace. He's running with speed toward Jerusalem. And that was the way of carrying news in those days what would the news be that was the question that they were asking among themselves surely after so long it will now be good news good news concerning the captivity and that is what it was at last in the will in the kindness of the lord the exiles were returning from babylon To Judea uh, to Jerusalem and yet when we read these prophecies when we read words such as these we're looking for something more are we not we've been taught by God by his spirit the light we've been given on these prophecies of the Old Testament that there's a greater deliverance far greater one which has respect not only to the captive Jews But the captive among mankind those who are slaves indeed because they are slaves to sin and that deliverance is what we are to think about in light of the words of our text the prophet here is looking forward to the redemption of the church that redemption which would be accomplished in the time of the appearing of her Lord and her Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Beautiful upon the mountains, those who bring good news and those who bring the very best news of all, the good news of the Redeemer, Christ Jesus, and salvation in him. Well, we shall consider with God's help three things. Firstly, the messenger. Secondly, the message. And then thirdly and finally, the meaning. So to consider the messenger, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. And we are bound to say, that there is one messenger who exceeds all other messengers. The great messenger is Jesus Christ. He was preceded by John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Christ. He prepared the way for the Lord. But John was ever pointing to Christ, the one who would come after him, but who was greater than he, And John was unworthy even to loosen the latchet of the shoes, sandals, of the one who would come after him. We find the Lord Jesus when he appears and when John is pointing to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We find the Lord Jesus claiming to be sent by God. And he often Did that in John chapter 6 and verse 29. We have one instance of this, and it's important because this claim was a bold claim and it was one that would be used against him. This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Christ is speaking to the Jews and he's pointing to himself. This is what God calls you to do. He commands you to do this, that you believe on the one he has sent. That you believe on me. Why was this a great claim? Were not the prophets sent by God? Certainly they were. But Christ was sent in a way that revealed him to be greater than any prophet greater by far in terms of his person and his ministry, the prophet, and indeed more beside. The priest, the king, the redeemer, the saviour of his people came by way of the Incarnation, There was the baptism and the voice from heaven, the Father speaking. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Follow Him. God was well pleased in His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ was saying He was sent by God, sent from God. And we think of those words also in John chapter 1 and verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son. There you see the divine glory of Christ. The only begotten Son dwelleth in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Or well, the prophets declare God. Not like Christ coming from the Father, from the bosom of the Father, yet dwelling eternally with the Father in his bosom, coming in the incarnation, appearing among men, and bringing the words of eternal life. And yet here is the wonder. Paul applies the words of our text to those who come preaching Christ. He is the great messenger. They are his ambassadors. They come in his name and they make known the glad tidings of Christ, the Messiah. They run. These messengers have a mission, there's something compelling them. They have A burden they cannot contain. They must express it. They must open their mouths and declare it. How are they so? Because God has raised them up. God has given them something of the anointing that Christ had. They have been called by God. As well as by the church. Into the work. Of the ministry. And the Lord Jesus is sending them forth. He's thrusting them into his harvest field. Gospel ministers. Now ministers have many duties. And their labors. Uh, may indeed weary them in many things that they have to attend to. But this is the labor that must be. Uh, at the very heart. Of all that they are about. And all that they seek to do, this labor of ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they run. They may feel themselves to be weak and weary and wholly unsuited for the task. They are mere men, they are sinful men, but they run. They are eager. They have this burning desire in their heart to serve the one who sends them. They go in the name of Christ. Where do they go? They go here and there as the Lord directs them and appoints them. And they go wherever ruined sinners are to be found. And dear friends, that is everywhere. Everywhere on the face of this earth. In Greenville, in North Ewest. Sinful mankind, perishing, and to perish everlastingly without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Needy sinners, those who have a true sense of their sin, they welcome these messengers. Good news from a far country. The man of God, opening his mouth and declaring Jesus Christ. They love Christ, they are consumed with Christ, and their longing is to make Christ known far and wide. Needy sinners welcome gospel preachers, not all men do. Some are provoked by the gospel. They find it insulting. How dare that man speak of me as a sinner? I'm an upright person. I do my best. I seek to live in a respectable manner. Oh, dear friend, if that is your thought, you must think again. And you must think again in light of the gospel itself believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved and without faith in christ there is no salvation how can i have faith you must hear the word how can you hear the word well god's servant will bring it to you and you will welcome him as a herald of Christ. And you will drink in. All that. Such a minister. Has to proclaim. To you. You see. How it is relevant. To your condition. And you long. To be delivered. To no redemption. Salvation. From your sin. So we have the messenger Christ is the great messenger He's the eternal word made flesh He sent the prophets But then he came himself And having come Made known salvation Accomplished salvation He sends out his messengers Gospel ministers And they go at his command And they're bearing with them these glad tidings, even the good news of salvation. Well, let us come secondly to the message, the message that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation. So the herald comes, and he announces good tidings of good. The gospel herald comes, and all he has, very good tidings of the greatest good. There is nothing better for mankind. Whoever we are, whatever our background, whatever our situation, nothing better for us and the gospel. And the gospel is a wonderful thing. It is very, very simple. And yet, so few comprehend it. They do not understand the way of salvation even when it is preached to them unless it pleases the Lord to do a convicting and humbling work in their souls. And that is what gospel ministers pray for. God is a good God. That's one of the divine attributes, the goodness of God, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his goodness. And God shows some good to all men. We think of the providence of the Lord. We think of how we enjoy Each day, our daily bread, we have that suitable portion of the good things of this life to sustain us, more than to sustain us, to cause us even to be joyful in the bounty that we receive. But do we honor God by thanking him for it? Do we acknowledge that every good gift comes from God and every perfect gift also? And you could say that the good gift is the good gift of God in providence. The perfect gift is the gift of God in his grace. It's his salvation. And all that concerns that salvation. So God gives some good to all. But he gives all good to some. The gospel is for all. And we're bound to heed it. And we're bound to accept its offer. And come to Christ. But if we're not made willing. By a power outwith of us. Though we're responsible. Guilty indeed for not coming. We shall not come. But the Lord gives all good. To some. Even those he has chosen in Christ. From before the foundation of the world. Love them with an everlasting love under that same gospel or they hear in a way that others do not hear. They hear in the depths of their being and they're hearing the voice of the one who is the good shepherd. And they know themselves now to be lost sheep. They have wandered. They have gone astray. Is that how you are? looking at your life, looking at your past, maybe even for some, your present. Sin, the pleasures of sin, you've gone after these things, they've led you everywhere but where you should be going, further from God, into the darkness of unbelief. But here is the gospel, and here is Jesus Christ made known in the gospel, He will even leave the ninety and nine and go after the one that is lost and seek that sheep until he finds that sheep. Good news in the gospel. Good news proclaimed by ministers of the gospel. And at its heart is this, God is issuing terms of peace. Peace between God and sinners of mankind. And necessarily, that peace has to have regard to man's condition, his sinful, corrupt condition, that man in his natural state is far from God. With no ability to return to God entirely corrupt and incapable of doing good and glorifying God so the gospel is all about another who has done what we poor sinners cannot do it is about Jesus Christ the son of God becoming man and as a man under the law and as a man keeping the law perfectly and you see every precept of that law which is exceeding broad covers every area of life, every precept kept by Christ perfectly in thought, word and deed. And that's where we're often found out the inner life, the heart, Deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Psalm 24 speaks of a pure heart, clean hands. Do we have that? Not by nature, not as we come into the world. How can we have that? And so ascend into God's holy hill, and dwell with him in a glorious eternity. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Christ you see even in his inner life, a heart fully set upon God. And in every way, he glorified the Father. I do always those things that please him. Or that we would be able to say that we cannot. We simply cannot. But Christ could. When our eyes are opened to the work of the Holy Spirit, We behold this beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ. Crucified, his visage marred more than that of any man. That speaks of the suffering that he came to when he was taken and tried and found guilty and crucified. speaks of the scoffing, the scourging speaks of the crown of thorns but this same one is the lord of glory this same one is perfect in his humanity and this same one was is and ever shall be the eternal son of god our mighty redeemer Two distinct natures one person and he is the savior from sin on the cross of calvary he bore divine wrath to the full and exhausted it and in that way he paid the price for his people sufferings in life and death satisfied divine justice forever He has brought in everlasting righteousness as the mediator. And in the gospel, this is proclaimed. God's servants, they publish the good news. They publish it. And they publish that. That the righteousness you and I need as sinners before God, we cannot produce it. It's not by the deeds of the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The law will direct you to Jesus Christ as one who cannot keep the law. And in him is perfect righteousness for the sinner. Receive by faith alone in Christ alone. Now ministers are to be publishers, not editors as someone once said there's a lot in that especially in our own day I cannot say how things are in the churches locally and in the state here I perhaps have some idea that that's a great variety and perhaps a great variety even in understanding what the gospel is what's required to be saved there certainly is in my own country churches which once were sound in doctrine, having so degenerated that the church hardly exists anymore for this great work which Christ has appointed to the church, the great commission, the preaching of the gospel, it's given over to other things. And if there's any good news, it's along these lines. Do your best. God will receive you into heaven in the end, as long as you are sincere. That's not the gospel, that's a devilish lie. And we need ministers who will publish the gospel and not edit it. And there is a temptation to do that. We desire to see our churches full. We want somehow to appeal to those of the world that they might begin to take an interest in the things of God. And so perhaps we are tempted to drop certain notes of the gospel, not to emphasize total depravity or the election of sinners by God, not to preach hell, the reality of it, the awfulness of it. But these things must be preached in the house of God, in the open air. Because without these things, the gospel is being diluted. And the hearers of the gospel go away with a wrong idea of their own state and therefore what is needful for them to be delivered from it. And so often the thought today is, God has done his part in Jesus Christ. Now it's left to me. There is that which I must now do in order that what Christ has done can become mine and come become effectual in my life. All oh, the glory of the gospel The glory of the gospel is Calvary. If we are to boast in anything we must boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the cross of Christ is everything because it is God's provision. The provision of a merciful and gracious God to poor helpless sinners of mankind. There we are Lying in the filth of our sin and The gospel is saying to us you look up You look away from yourself Look away from man altogether You look up Even to behold the one At my right hand Who has finished everything necessary For the salvation Of your soul And faith itself Saving faith is the gift of God His gracious gift So let us never as ministers of the gospel alter the content of the gospel in any way and let not the people of God desire a different gospel there's no better gospel there cannot be than the gospel Of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So we must declare it as God has given it, be faithful to our church, but of course we must declare it with the heart that the Apostle Paul had. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer unto God for Israel is that they may be saved. That indeed must be the preacher's desire every time he ascends the steps of the pulpit prayerfully seeking the Lord that he would bless his word to salvation. Some will hear. That is the glory of the doctrines of grace. We have the assurance there. That God will save. Because in the end. It's not man. It is God. His glory is at stake. And if Christ has died for a. People. Chosen people. Then he shall have them. The Holy Spirit. In his work. He will work effectually. In their souls. To convict. To enlighten, to renew the will, to deliver that sinner from his or her captivity, young or old. And those the Son of Man makes free, they are free indeed. The dominion of sin, its reigning power is broken in their life. And they now go with Christ and they walk with Christ. And they seek day and daily the sanctification of their soul. They know they are justified. They're right with God. They are acquitted. And their concern is their personal holiness of life. That is all of God's grace. We work out. What God works in by his Spirit. And there are those who do not hear, not in a saving way, and that is ever a grief to God's servants. And that should put us more on our knees and give us even more of a sense of our inability to bring any sinner to Christ that we might be cast more upon God and his resources and be seeking that the Holy Spirit would come and do that which he alone can do. There's a truth that we must proclaim in connection with the gospel, which many do not like to hear today. It's the truth that Christ told Nicodemus. A man Educated in the things of God, teacher, and uh, having a position in the church. But when he came to Christ with his question, it was very apparent that he was in a real sense ignorant, blind, and most of all, unrenewed, still in his sin. Ye must be born again. That is essential. Without it no one shall enter the kingdom of God. They will not even see it, understand it. The kingdom cometh not with observation, said Christ. The kingdom is within you, among you. The kingdom is in the heart, it is established. There, And all that there will be those who are gospel hearers and regular in God's house, who will come by God's grace to be gospel believers, receiving Christ and resting upon Christ alone for salvation as he is freely offered in the gospel. then we come to the meaning in the words at the end of our text. It saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. That is the sense in which Christ proclaimed it. And of course the kingdom... Is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of grace, it's all one and the same kingdom. And was it not appropriate that the Lord Jesus himself should come and as he began his public ministry make proclamation of the kingdom of God. He is the King. King of kings, and Lord of lords. And the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is a divine person. He is this glorious King. He is the Almighty One. Yet he comes, taking our nature, and he suffers in it. And he dies in it. And he dies as the substitute. He's taken the place of his people. That was the commission he had. These were the terms. Father giving to the son of people. And he would have them by this way and this way only. He must come on their behalf. He must suffer in their room instead. He must die that cursed death of the cross. Then he shall have them. Then he shall have them. In the work Christ finished on the cross, and let us emphasize he did finish it. And you know the cry that went out from the lips of the Savior. It is finished. In that work, redemption was accomplished. By Christ. And in that redemption, God is greatly glorified. You see the glory of his goodness, the glory of his grace, nowhere better, nowhere more fully than in the cross of Calvary. But do we see it? Do we behold it with the eyes of our understanding? When you think of Calvary, what is your thought? There are some who, when they think of the cross, it almost evokes a certain pity in them toward the one who was hanging on that cross. That's not the way to view Calvary at all. It was by no means a defeat. The Savior was not overcome. He laid down his life. He had received that commandment from the Father. He had power to lay it down, Ah, but he had power to take it again. And he told the disciples that that is what would happen. On the third day, he would rise again. Wicked men with wicked hands would take him and slay him and he would be laid in the tomb but on the third day he would rise again truth met with mercy righteousness and peace embraced each other all the divine attributes come together in jesus christ and in his mediatorial work and in the redemption which he accomplished on the cross of calvary and that is wonderful to behold if we have eyes to see it when we do it is a beautiful thing we read in isaiah 52 and that leads of course into the great chapter isaiah 53 and here are the messengers, and this is what they have to say, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? They're not believing. They're not bearing the lead to Christ. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That's the natural man with his natural eye looking at the Christ of Calvary. There's nothing there. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And as we read in the New Testament, he came unto his own. His own received him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, And with his stripes, we are healed. And we could continue in this wonderful chapter. The Lord, through the gospel, seeks out and finds his own. And he gathers them, he brings them to himself come, his voice, made willing by him. And he raises them up. They were found in their sinful corruption. But he raises them up out of that. And the Lord Jesus leads and guides his own. While they remain in this world, they're kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time? Do you know the Lord's keeping power in your life, delivering you out of many troubles when you cry to him, strengthening you in your weakness? That is the Lord's promise. To all who go with him, and they may begin with fear and trembling, I'll never stay the course. I'll turn back. Perhaps I'll even deny him. No, the covenant is ordered in all things and sure. It is all our salvation. And the Lord will. Exalt his people to heaven. He'll take them. From this poor passing world. At the moment of their death. And they will enter in. To glory. Eternal glory. With. The Lord that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Our God in Jesus Christ reigns, reigns over the church. Christ is indeed head over all things to the church in a providential way, although there are many difficulties for the church and for Christians. The Lord is over all these things, He's superintending all these things and he directs them all for the good of his cause and the glory of his name but a question for us is the reign of christ Christ's gracious reign seen in our lives seen in our congregation in our church That is where it ought to be, must be most clearly seen in the professing people of God. Saved by his grace, for his glory. Cotton Mather, you may have heard of him. He said this, the great design of Christian preachers is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. What can we say here today that the Lord has indeed done that in our lives? That we have experienced by grace that far greater deliverance than the one that Israel had from Babylon, or even Israel had from Egypt, or the Church has had in a formal way. Uh, through the time of being delivered from the Roman bondage, this deliverance for our soul, this deliverance whereby Christ has come in, set up his throne in our heart, subdued our iniquities, rules and defends us, restrains and conquers all his and our enemies what a wonderful thing it is to know the lord a beautiful thing for the poor sinner who has been saved by god's grace and all the glory belongs to the lord to our precious and lovely savior jesus christ may god Bless his word. Let us pray. We thank thee, O Lord, for the gospel. And our desire and prayer is that it would have free course among thy people here and everywhere. And that thy name would be glorified in it. That Jesus Christ would be seeing of the travail of his soul and satisfied as his own blood-bought people come to him and bow down before him. Watch over us in the remainder of the day. May the good things of the gospel remain with us and be sweet to our taste. And all that we ask, we ask with thy forgiveness, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.